0: Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa. Aparuta De Sangamatsa Towara Yesodawanta Bamunchantu Satang. So this is the Uposita and uh two more weeks we uh, we'll enter the Vasa. The annual retreat time. And then uh, on Sunday, there's a celebration at Chiturst, 25 years at Chiturst. And uh, also a celebration of the uh, new Dharma Hall, which is finished, finished building. And that's uh, uh, good to see, because Chiturst was our first monastery. And when we, and I was living at Chitters for the first five years, after two years in London, and then uh, the community kept growing, uh, expanding to where we couldn't fit any more into Chitters, so we had to move to acquire this property. So this is also the 20th year that we've been here. We came in 1984 to Amaravati, And the idea then was that Titus, because of its unique situation, its forest, uh, its uh, beauty and also our agreements with the council not to to make it a kind of uh, center where it would draw thousands of the faithful. Uh, And also we wanted to keep it more in the ambience of a forest monastery, then the aim was to draw the attention away from Chitturst. So we did, came here. <coughs> and so the emphasis of establishing this, so I asked you know, to refrain from any big building plans till we finish this. And so... Five years ago, this temple was finished, and so the uh, Dhamma Hall at Chiters has been being built and is now, I hope, finished. And so these are, are just uh, memories of, of uh, time, coming to England in 1977 so this is my my 28th year 28th vasa in the UK but uh, the effects of meditation over the years is that time doesn't have much reality anymore and so you you because the uh, mindfulness is is a connection going back to the timeless rather than than, uh, clinging to perceptions of time. So we have these memories when we started, when we came, when we arrived, when we established Chittur, established Samravatti, building the temple here, building the Dhamma Hall there, and on and on like this, people coming and going, changing conditions, but the, the sense of reality in regard to the conditioned realm begins to lose its uh, power. And this is where this reflection on impermanence, uh, also all conditions are impermanent, is so helpful because uh, we are conditioned to think of things as something more than what they are. Every thought that we project into our... into Consciousness is makes something more than what it is. Thinking is like that. It's it's uh, compounding. It's adding to the present moment. So, for example, at this moment now, this uh, this is you know when we just are aware. We're not thinking. We're not. We're not trying to. Describe What we're aware of we're just aware Just open to this present moment And then we project words onto it. This is the Amravati temple. This is the Opposita Day uh, two weeks uh, until the beginning of Vata and on and on like this These are projections adding something to the present So thinking itself is a function of the mind, you know, it is conditioned. Uh, so we have various languages, and we learn to think in certain ways according to cultural uh, identities and so forth. But but the awareness, and say, is is isn't identified with any particular language or culture. And yet, modern society is so attached to thinking. We want to define everything, explain everything, uh, elaborate, complicate in every way we can. Everything becomes uh, complicated by how how we think about ourselves, the Sangha, Buddhism, England, whatever. We're making it more than what it is. So this is like this sense of compounding, this, this habit of projecting, making something more than what it is. So the, the emphasis the Buddha made on mindfulness, or satipanya, is to stop doing it, just to notice the way it is, to trust the, the attention, the, the conscious reality of this moment, rather than trying to define it, describe it, make it into something more than what it is. Because we tend to believe our projections more than the reality of this moment. Is this really the Amravati temple? And we we, we give significance to Amravati temple. And these are, this is the compounding, this moment. The, but it is the way it is. So this this does not emotionally satisfy us because we, when we get into language and that we we like to, feel good about it. This is a beautiful temple. This is a, our temple. This is, uh, or we become critical of it. We spend our time noting the things we don't like about it. But seldom do we do we really rest in the present just realizing that this moment is the way it is the as-isness the suchness and so in vipassana meditation that's what we're we're learning to do re- to to give up projecting adding to but recognizing and realizing dhamma which it doesn't have a name so, we use terms like the way it is," and of course, the thinking mind, if we're attached to thinking, it makes us very uncomfortable because uh, we want to describe the way it is. We want somebody to tell uh, tell me, "Ah John, how, what is it?" <laughs> you know what is the way it is and And who am I? Tell me who I am and what I should be or become." The world of desire is like that. Wanting to become, wanting to control, wanting to get rid of things we don't like, trying to suppress, deny, exterminate, extirpate that which is we don't like, don't want, and try to hold on to and keep what we like and what we prefer. And we can always imagine... How things should be or shouldn't be but the reality of the way it is this this isn't emotionally satisfying and that's why I, it is a difficult practice because emotionally we we go into the state of, uh, of uncertainty and insecurity and we don't like that we don't want to feel insecure and not knowing because the desire to know everything, to have an answer to every question, a solution, every problem, a description of everything, to know everything about everything, to be an expert, to be an authority, uh, these are highly valued uh, goals in life for hum- many human beings. And yet, it's the, the cause of our suffering, this attachment to the desires, and the kamadana, pavadana, vipavadana. This blind attachment, ignorant attachment, identity, is the cause of suffering. So we create suffering, and then we want to blame it on somebody else or something. Because, you know. The tendency who's to blame We we see it in the news of who's to blame now for the mess in Iraq and for the the uh, inadequate intelligence around the uh, weapons of mass destruction <laughs> I want to blame somebody his uh, desire to that would make us feel good if we could find somebody a scapegoat something else out there to blame our unhappiness our suffering so that's desire again isn't it desire to to um, know something to have something that makes us feel more secure if we if we can figure out things rationally and and then really who is the culprit uh, who can we blame? Who can we put the blame on for this, for this uh, suffering we're experiencing? So with awareness, we're, we're noticing this. It's turning the, the light on from inside. This movement of thought and, and desire towards wanting to, to define, to, to blame, to know something. So what we can really know is not through <coughs> projecting thoughts, ideas, views, and opinions onto into consciousness, but by knowing in this direct way. Because mindfulness is knowing. It's a direct knowing. It's it's not uh, me knowing. It's not like I know everything. But the more I trust in the awakened attention to this moment, there's certainly knowing it is the way it is. Now that doesn't seem like one is knowing very much, but that's very profound actually. It sounds even stupid or ridiculous to many people. But knowing the way it is, is in order to really to, to know that is to open to this moment, to receive it. And that, and that receptive ability has no boundary. Mindfulness is boundless. It doesn't have any form. So when you try to become mindful through, through uh, some idea you have about what mindfulness is, you're never there. I remember I used to do that a lot in the early years. You know, read about mindfulness and then try to make, m- become mindful all the time. Because I, uh, I defined mindfulness. I tried to get the, you know, the definition from the Pali Dictionary and what the meditation manuals would say and, and uh, various uh, other views about mindfulness. And then, t- so I tried to make myself uh, uh, do what I was, what I would regard as mindful. But I was, you know, it was because I was holding to a view of mindfulness. And until I saw that, Mm -hmm. saw the attachment to a view or a definition, no matter how accurate or good that definition might be, that attachment to an idea or a a definition of mindfulness was the problem. The ignorance, the abhija. Jaya Sankara, out of ignorance comes the Sankara, the conditions that we project. So in Vipassana, we actually, you know just noticing, uh, because there's so many, you know, condition phenomena. what we're experiencing all the time. It's the, the, the body itself, this physical body, and the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, the body, the mental states, the, the thoughts, the memories, they're all sankharas, the subtle, coarse, whatever. And we're very attached to some of these sankharas. You know, we'd like to get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion on the, you know, and on in that way. But there is a tremendous fear of disappearing, of, of annihilation. Because the sense of oneself, the very attachment to being somebody, Having an identity, having a position, having a role. Uh, All these are so, these are strong desires to know who I am, to define myself. Maybe by my position, by my past, by my memories. You know, so I think I have to make myself into somebody I have to become somebody so even in monastic life when the, you know when the Buddha established the Sangha the monastic Sangha it was not to increase the ego and uh, you know to become a monk and nun is not to, to increase the sense of self but to help reflect to be a a uh, A convention that reflects the ego, the sense of myself, so then think you know, of i'm a senior monk, <laughs> that kind of thing is uh, you know identifying with they give you get titles now, and uh, this makes you somebody, and it's not just an ordinary monk but a special monk or a special nun or a teacher or uh, an expert there's nothing wrong with this this is perfectly all right but if it blinds us if we're, if we're in this in this life in order to to become somebody then we're kind of misusing the, the we're missing the opportunity that's made available to us. But it's not to deny either. It's not to say, you know, to grab the, grab some kind of idea of being nobody. I'm just nobody. But it, with awareness, we actually see this, this dualism that we create through thinking. If I'm somebody, then there's nobody along with that. In that the more proud and arrogant a person is, the more they fear being humiliated and and life proving that they're not worth anything. If your identity is based on being a winner or a special uh, advanced kind of gifted human being, then along with that identity comes also the fear of losing it, of being a failure, a nobody. So, you can see in the, in the society around us how much misery and depression there is. Uh, people who have become somebody and then it changes and they're, they're no longer the, the special somebody or the important person they used to be. And then it one sinks into depression, despair, disappointment. Because now all I'm left with is a sense of I'm a failure and I'm nobody nobody loves me anymore and I'm my life is a is uh, is a failure now with awareness this this dualistic thinking process can be seen in perspective you know so With awareness, you know, it contains both right and wrong, good and bad, and success and failure, praise and blame. Where thinking limits you to one or the other in the present moment. You can only have one thought moment at a time. So if if you're attached to thinking and definition and ideas and so forth, then uh it will take you it, it 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 uh you know you go around with it you you go from one you go from the top to the bottom from success to failure to success to failure to hope to despair happiness and misery mm-hmm. because the condition realm is like that it 's uh, it 's always in this state of Flux—it's ephemeral. You can't fix success, happiness, and praise, petrify them into a permanent state of being because the conditioned realm isn't like that. So recognizing, this realizing, aware, what awareness, the value, the 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 beauty the great gift we have of awakening and being that which is which is aware present here and now where the ego and all its variations and permutations can be seen not criticized or denied but recognized you practice like this you can you begin to notice what, what the Sakayaditi in the, Pali terms of the ten fetters Sakayaditi is you know it's a, a me and mine and I am and I should and I shouldn't it's Ajahn Sameto, and and I'm an American and I'm a and the, you know all these things make me into somebody it's an identity but if I'm aware then these then these are mere conventions Uh, you know they're not they're no longer attachments I no longer seek to identify with any any perceptions I don't you know there's no longer any interest in being anything or becoming anything because through investigation they call so Manasikara you're getting to the root you're getting to the, the root cause of suffering so you can see it. you don't have to suffer if you don't want to once you see the cause it's no longer because of something else or the imperfections of the world or the inadequacies of the people around you or the society you're in these things change sometimes they're They, you know, they're better than at other times. They change. Conventional realm is imperfect. Its very nature is unsatisfactory. And yet we can imagine perfect conventions. And yet, you know, they are, you know, the ideals we have. You know, the ideal world that we can create, how things should be according to the best possibility, the superlatives that we can create in our minds. But when the Buddha used the word Dhamma, this isn't pointing to the best. It's pointing to the way it is. The way it is, sometimes, you know, it changes, sometimes it's the best, sometimes the worst, and in various gradations between those two extremes because that's what change is all about. It's it's a, a continual, relentless, inexorable movement of conditioned phenomena that we try to hold on to in some way. It's like hope and despair, isn't it? The future, hoping everything will be all right. When we live in when we when we're ignorant, then we 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 think about the future a lot. And then you also, when you hope that everything's going to be all right, we also have the kind of dread that it's not going to be all right, that it's going going to change and we're, we're going to lose everything and everything's going to go wrong it'll be a mess hope and despair they go together but in, the, in awareness then hope can be seen in that it? it's a condition we create, it's not permanent, it has no uh, core no essence we project hope into consciousness and hope is quite positive. Hope everything will be just, you know, will go well and everyth- we'll get what we want and a- attain what we uh, aspire to and so forth. But then there's also the, along with that, the, as the mood changes, the sense of dread or despair. Maybe I can't do it. Maybe I'm inadequate. Maybe nobody can do it. And then saying with the religious path we're in with uh, Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism. You know, hope it's the right one and, uh, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's, it's not the path for me. It might be some other path. So doubt. But Theravada Buddhism is a convention, so it's, it's, it's not meant to be uh, something to solve your problems and to uh, give you security. Uh, the whole structure of the Dhamma Vinaya is for reflection and liberation, not for identity or attachment. now people want peace uh, this is the cry of the present age we want peace we don't want any more wars uh, we don't want uh, a society with all kinds of conflicts in it and, and problems and poverty and we, don't, we want to get rid of poverty and, and uh, we want justice fairness peace, happiness And these are all very good ideals. Not uh, cynically uh, condemning them in any way. But no, that's what they are. That longing for peace. And yet peace, when we have it, we don't want it. We want excitement, romance, adventure. We want to feel alive and... and, uh, that we have our life has a meaning and a purpose and and uh, that that I'm you know have this hope in the future that I'll achieve and attain and find and experience and realize and get and become so it <laughs> is uh, you know the, this uh is the way the mind works. So the, uh, the awareness then is, can, you know, be aware of that. That's all it that needs to be done. It's not to say you shouldn't feel that. You shouldn't have those thoughts uh, or atta- you shouldn't attach to anything. That's another uh, problem in the, in the is that we get the idea we shouldn't be attached to anything. So we grasp the idea of non-attachment, and we're attaching, you know, the very we're grasping the very concept of non-attachment, and the only way you can get beyond that is by recognizing what it is, knowing what an idea is, a thought, uh, an emotion, a feeling, an intuition. You know, this is, these are. Mental states that we experience, inspiration, uh, and all these these kind of insp- you know, we want inspiration. We love to be inspired because it makes us feel good. Falling in love, being in love, makes us feel alive, and and uh, so having exciting lifestyle going places, doing exciting things, adventures, are, you know, they're very attractive, very stimulating, uh, goals to seek. And yet, can we really look at that? You know, it's it's difficult sometimes because we, we want them so much. We don't want to detach. We want to follow those moods, those inspirations, those longings, because the very idea of not having them can seem like a a desert, desolation, misery, boredom, and that's because of the, the way the thinking process works. It lifts us up and then with its opposite, we we fall into despair. Inspiration is definitely, uh, you know, takes you to desperation, disillusionment. Now I'm not condemning inspiration, but it's, but to recognize its limitation, to see what it is, and not to depend on it, not to not to seek it as your refuge, to always need to be inspired to be praised, to feel that you are somebody or you're getting somewhere, or you're 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 going in the right direction that you're doing the right thing, that everything is that we're the best group, and our ways are you know you're sure to get there if you stick with it and so forth. Guarantees. How many of you want guarantees when you become someone That that this way you're going to really, you know, you're going to get enlightened if you do it, if you practice our way? So even with the best convention, the most, you know, or with the very skillful convention that we have, we can attach to that convention. And then it's going to disappoint us. as much as it inspires and gives us hope and and so forth, it, it will take us to its opposite if we don't awaken to the way it is. Now with uh, the holy life, this, uh, this life that we're living is not meant to be in a kind of asceticism of denial and torture. We're not trying to control ourselves and bind ourselves because we're so afraid of our emotions, our passions. And yet that's oftentimes how it can look, you know, to especially to the Western way of thinking. This is a life to be really treasured, and loved, and enjoyed. And so the, this, uh, how to, you know, and yet, it, I can't, this is something I can't uh, command you to do. You know, it's not <laughs> I say you should, you should love this life. <laughs> uh, because this this isn't a, this can't be demanded of anyone, but encouraged is a way of life for reflection. It's a good way of life, isn't it? It's it's based on moral precepts, on on uh, being responsible for action and speech. It's an honorable. It has this, uh, a nobility and a a sense of honor in it. So. In terms of ideals, it, it can, we can idealize the monastic life. How many of you, you know, have been disappointed in the members of the sangha as you get to know them? Because you, they, they don't live up to what you expect, your ideals of what a good Buddhist monk or a Buddhist nun should be or a Buddhist. I've heard so many people say, you know, I joined the Buddhist society and and I was so upset because they were there's so much jealousy and backbiting and things going on in there and Buddhists shouldn't be acting like that. But the idea that if if it's a Buddhist society, you know, then it they're all going to be Buddhas, enlightened Buddhas. But this is, and that's, you know, projecting this idea that Buddhists are, are not like anyone else. But, we, you know, we share our humanity with all other human beings. You know, that's whether, you know, it's uh, terrorists or, or um, criminals, serial killers, uh, uh Saints and whatever we we have a common human bond, you know. We have this humanity to live with. Like being human, isn't it? We're not Buddha Rupas. We're not made of bronze or marble, we're made of the four elements earth, fire, water and air. Consciousness, we're conscious beings. We're in this incessant changingness. We all have our own karmic uh, uh, idiosyncrasies. So you're never going to find two the same. And so we pro- project our ideals of what a good Buddhist should be, and then we're going to be disappointed, because we aren't going to find any. You know, every every human being is going to disappoint you if you're expecting them to be an ideal human being, and a perfect human being. But it's better to look at it like all human beings, no matter what, are perfect because they are human. Perfectly human. Whether they're crazy or normal or <laughs> what. And so this humanity is not something to despise, but to recognize. Like this awakening, isn't it? Awakening to the way it is. We're not judging humanity as some kind of inferior condition phenomena that we're a bit ashamed of and and, uh, try to suppress or deny, but open to the fact of having a human body, senses, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, having a mind that thinks and emotions and passions and, and experiences, all kinds of mental experiences sensible nonsensical nonsensible whatever so this awareness then is that which, which is aware of humanity you know not criticizing it Diminishing it, denying it, but recognizing that the, that whatever we call human is still a condition, and the, and the identity isn't. We're not saying we're human as an identity for our egos, but as a way of reflecting on what is what is being human. What do we mean by that word? Because sometimes we think we know what it is, and we don't. We've just it's a common enough word. But what is is a human being in terms of this moment, in terms of your own experience? So we're not starting from defining things and then trying to fit life into definitions, but by learning to trust in a direct knowing this jnana dasana, this ability of awakened intelligent awareness. awakenness sati sampatanya, satipanya, is intelligence. It's not going into some zombie-like trance or stupidity. You know, it's aware, it's bright, it's clear. Once you begin to Recognize it, realize it, and surrender to that. So I use the word surrender. Now, surrender is another word people find difficult uh, because uh, you know, giving up and surrendering to something, giving up. But giving up in this sense is like letting go of ignorance, letting go of desire. So the surrender then has a very positive sense of it. Instead of getting rid of, it's not a letting go or surrendering to somebody or something, but through awareness, learning to relax and be that which is aware rather than somebody who is trying to become aware. So this is, what I'm doing now, is just pointing, isn't it, to this, this, uh, these words, sati sampachanya. sampachanya. this is like intuitive awareness, isn't it, it's, it's receptive to the way it is. All that's present now, in, in, in all its subtleties or coarseness, whatever. Internal, what's going on inside your mind, your Im- how you're feeling, uh, and so forth, and the external impingement. And so, awareness, uh, we we find w- it's a natural state. We don't create it. It's not a like a special state that depends on controlling a situation so that these coarser, unpleasant. Impingements are diminished. Then we want, you know, then we want to go to heavenly state, to some kind of refined state that, that, uh, you know, we can we can only attain through controlling our mind or the world around us. But sattisambhajanya doesn't. That's not, you know, it's wherever we are. It includes all that we are experiencing, whether it's peace or confusion pleasure or pain so what is that right now and so when I say what is that right now This just by training by practicing by developing this awareness it's this natural state I rest in it It's, it's not something created Lunk Borcha used to you know use the term our real home. This is this is our real home. Where, you know, it's it's not, not something that we we that depends on conditions supporting it anymore. It's natural. It's dhamma. And therefore, to recognize, uh, like in the, in the terminologies of Theravada Buddhism, this recognition, realization. And that is through noticing how things arise and cease, how conditioned, just observing, arising and ceasing. In, in experience right now, thoughts c- come and go, emotions they arise and then they cease. In that movement of conditioned phenomena, that awareness is a stable factor. Isn't it? It's aware of its arising, its peak, its its uh, descent into cessation. So, in the in the Four Noble Truths, when we talk about the Rea- reality, the realization of cessation, it's not rea- realizing some kind of extinction or annihilation, uh, uh, you know, as, as some kind of metaphysical concept. It's the reality of, the, the, of cessation thoughts, emotions, feelings, because that's their nature, is cease. We don't make them you know if you you try to get rid of them then you're not doing it you're not aware anymore as soon as you resist and fight and try to get rid of uh something you don't like then you're you're no longer mindful so you're just creating more karma you're creating more attachments to that the very thing you're trying to get rid of that's why in in the life to th- learning to be patient learning to receive life in its pleasure and pain its happiness its suffering its successes and failures its praise and blame and then the reality of cessation the, is the path really, which isn't annihilation again? It's, le- it's allowing conditioned phenomena to be what it is, and no longer trying to make it into something more than what it is. So, in patience, isn't it? Learning to be very patient with yourself, with the, your body, with your mental state whatever they might be. In a monastic life, learning to, rather than, than try, you know, dwelling in a, with criticism, or discontent, learn to be content in it. Reflect on the four requisites, and the, the, the goodness of the life, to be content, and have gratitude, the sense of katanyu to, to feel it this builds a base of uh, for rea- for realization if we're not content and we're not grateful then we we always get, we're not going to uh, ever get much peace or happiness out of this life Because we can always, uh, you know, dwell on what we don't like about it, or what's wrong with it, or what's wrong with the people in it. And like any convention or any condition, you know, it has its its good points and its flaws. You know, so it's, it's uh, you know, one one is, if one has a critical mind, then one's always noticing the flaws. and we do this to ourselves we, we are oftentimes more aware and we, we exaggerate we, we obsess ourselves with our weaknesses or our flaws our bad habits and uh, we can quite bypass not notice our, our virtues awareness receives both and doesn't judge isn't a judging uh, condemning For having any weaknesses or flaws, nor does it uh, get attached to identifying with virtue. But it certainly knows virtue is like this. Weaknesses, faults, flaws are like this. So this gives you this unshakable refuge. that and the door to that unshakable refuge is the simple, imminent act of awareness. So it's a very direct and very clear path. But it does take incredible determination because (laughs) the eight worldly winds and the you know the the force of habit and, the, and the, the way we easily forget, the way our emotions can take us over. But I encourage you, it's learning to trust yourself, Trust your awareness. Don't trust any of the opinions and views you have. I don't trust any of my opinions or views anymore at all. And people want me, you know, ask me about what do I think of Osho? What do you think of of, uh, this group or that group? And and uh, I don't have any opinions I don't want any opinions about things these are just these are perceptions these are you know I hear gossip I hear all kinds of stories and and then I I have preferences doesn't mean I I don't have opinions but I don't believe them they aren't important my opinions about anything are not important to me anymore because you see through that 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 how easily you know easily easy for somebody like me to be very righteous and opinionated when you when you have high standard of moral conduct and so forth it's easy to to have strong opinions about those who don't and so forth so i've noticed this the suffering of being attached to even my righteous views and my moral judgments. It's not that they're wrong or bad, but the attachment to them can delude me, can take me over, and I can get caught in very unpleasant mental states uh, by that kind of heedlessness. so in an, uh, in in this way too it's a kind of freedom like a sense of relief of not having to be the moral authority or the judge or you know the the one who decides what's right and what's wrong and and uh, you know tell you all about how you should live your life and who's who's a good guy and who ain't you know to be the the moral judge is no no longer my you know i 'm relieved i don 't have to do that because i don't that is not what you know this that is not that's suffering to always be judging, criticizing moralizing, choosing condemning, and you see it all the time now the in in the in the societies we live in, the kind of morality of war or immorality of war and who's wrong and the Al Qaeda, the Islamic terrorists, the fundamentalist Christians in America, George Bush, Tony Blair and Berlusconi. <laughs> the three B's the three bad bees <laughs> but the Uh, but putting it in a context of Dhamma doesn't mean that I don't have personally don't have preferences and feelings but knowing them as that rather than identifying because this way is definitely a way of liberation it's not this is you know it's it's, it's not, uh, not meant to be make us stupid and, 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 and just blind ourselves like the ostrich with its head in the ground, doesn't want to know anything. It's not that at all. One can still be aware of all these things, but that awareness then isn't uh, attaching out of ignorance. It knows. Whatever I think of George Bush is just that. It's a thought. That isn't George Bush. It's a thought of perception I have. And that's what I can know, isn't it? That's what I can really know at this moment. that, in, uh, that, th- that That's what it is. it's a memory the perception that rises in consciousness and that's what it is, is in regards to experience at this moment is that really George Bush <laughs> and yet I can you know if, I, if I'm if i not aware I tend to believe my own views and perceptions of George Bush are actually George Bush that applies to every one of you too you know when I go back to my coot you know, I think of this person or that person is that the person or is that a memory I have of somebody is my memory a person is that a real person or is that what is it it is in terms of Buddhist jargon isn't it sunya, uh, 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 all sunya is impermanent so it's learning to 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 use the the flow of experience for this investigation. So, more and more your tendency to delude yourself, misinform, believe in your delusions, believe in your opinions and views as something more than what they are. That diminishes. That falls away. To the to the reality of being in this. Uh, reality of conscious experience now. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.